Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Texas Sports Nation podcast, courtesy of HoustonChronicle.com. I'm Steve Schaefer with The Chronicle with Astros beat writer Chandler Rome, as we are about to start the American League Division Series in Houston, Game 1 coming up Tuesday afternoon. And Chandler, we go through this 162-game ritual. For the Astros, it's been pretty much a given over recent years, and they're facing the Seattle Mariners team that snapped the longest postseason drought in North American sports 21 years. Your first impressions of this matchup? It should be a good one, and I, and I think something that is going to not get talked about a ton, maybe in the in the mainstream, is these two teams don't like each other. They they are not they are not friend they are not friendly. Um, part of that is they play each other so much; they see each other nineteen times in the regular season, and part of it is just kind of a natural fatigue of one another. Part of it is you know the Astros, um, you know. They're not liked by a lot of teams in the league based off of what happened in 2017 and 2018 with the sign ceiling scandal. But I think the Mariners, to some degree, kind of feel extra animus because, I mean, they played that team 19 times during the, during the year and they saw them over and over again. And I think part of it, too, is the Mariners are frustrated that they just haven't had much success against the Astros. They are 7-30 and 30 at Minute Maid Park since 2019. In the 2019 season, the Mariners went one and 18 against the Astros. Um, this has been a one-sided series, if it could ever be one. And I think now that the Mariners are kind of they're they're turning the corner, you can see a core in place that can maybe be a challenge a challenger to the Astros the next four or five years. I, I think certainly it's coming into focus that they they want to assert their dominance. They want to assert themselves as you know they're not going to get walked over anymore. They're not going to be a pushover and. Um, certainly you saw this year, uh, the benches cleared between these two teams in June after Hector Neris threw, uh, at both Ty France and Eugenio Suarez. Um, there have been some other hit by pitches in this series, in the series between these two teams that maybe didn't generate benches clearing, but, uh, were not well received in either clubhouse. So just suffice to say that these two teams do not like each other. So I think that, A, is going to have a a level of tension that maybe you wouldn't see in an ALDS. And then, you know, I I think certainly it's a contrast. I wouldn't say it's a contrast in styles. I think these teams are are kind of maybe a little bit even. Both of them are very pitching reliant. The Astros have a better lineup. The Astros have better hitters. But I think the, the main crux of this thing is going to be which team pitches better. Because I don't think either one of these lineups is going to set the world on fire. The Astros have more top-end talent in their lineup. But um, these are two really good pitching staffs. These are two really good bullpens. Um, It's going to come down to who executes the best on the mound. 
I think one interesting thing is the Mariners, and this was the second year in a row they did that. They, they led Major League Baseball in one-run victories. They had 34 one-run wins this year. And when you look at playoff baseball, particularly I think about that Rays-Guardians series where you had four total runs scored in 24 innings, all off the home run. And so you're looking at where one long ball can decide things. I'm thinking about Dusty Baker's lineup construction, and we saw him tinker with this at the end of the year where they have some holes, but do you figure he's going to still do this and really stack it up high where he's got the big four all together to try and maximize? You had a very fascinating tweet about how Jordan Alvarez, his last 14 homers were solo home runs. He needs some guys on base in front of him. Right. And it sounds like Jeremy Pena is going to stay in the two hole, which Jeremy Pena is not your prototypical uh, two hole hitter. That's probably not who you want up there, but there, there are a couple things uh, maybe about that, that, that pretend well um he he's more comfortable there that's where he likes to hit dusty baker talks often about how he talks to these guys about where they're comfortable hitting and jeremy pena has said constantly that he is comfortable hitting in the two hole jeremy pena also has a 289 on base percentage which is not good for a two hole hitter especially like we just mentioned when jordan alvarez is hitting home runs with nobody on base you kind of do need someone on in front of him to to make his home runs hurt more uh, but as I wrote a couple of weeks ago, um, Jeremy Pena did make a slight adjustment with his front foot. He he's basically cut his leg kick out. He he's now hovering with his right foot and getting his and getting his front foot down quicker, which allows him more time to see the pitch. It allows him to be more selective, and you can't really argue with the results. In September, he had a 790 OPS, slugged 487, uh, and had a 303 on base percentage. So um, they are sticking with the hot hand there. If, if he's comfortable and he's hitting well, um, you might as well. But um, this series is going to come down to, I think, how well the Mariners neutralize those four guys you just talked about, Alex Bregman, uh, Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, and Jose Altuve. Um, because at this Astros lineup to this point in the season has shown, or the whole regular season, outside of those four, there's there's not much. Uh, there's just There's a guy that can run a ball out every now and then. There's a guy that can – uh, be a pest, but those are the four guys that have carried this lineup. And I think the Mariners' ability to neutralize those four guys is going to be their, their the big key here because um, unless one of those other guys step up, unless Jeremy Pena can continue his resurgent September, unless Yuli Gurriel finds um, the fountain of youth all of a sudden, or unless Trey Mancini um, decides to be the guy that they acquired, I just I, I don't feel like this lineup um, – beside. Uh, uh, after that top four, I just don't feel like that lineup is is that is that deadly. But uh, four good hitters are more than what the Mariners have. The Mariners do not have four hitters of that caliber in their lineup. But um, you will see Dusty keep Pena in the two hole. And if anything, it does lengthen the lineup a little bit. Tucker hitting fifth as opposed to hitting fourth. It does give you a little bit more length. But um, certainly you have to wonder if desperation comes, if the Astros find themselves in a 2-0 hole, or if the offense just isn't clicking this series, if a change will be uh, necessary. Now, Dusty wasn't really revealing on Monday exactly who's going to start in center field. I think we're maybe guessing it's going to be Chas McCormick, because we talk about this lineup, and Martin Maldonado's going to catch. He had, what, 189, I think, this year. If if you put Dubon in the lineup, then you've pretty much got these two automatic outs, and I think Dusty is maybe realizing his defense doesn't make really any type of difference as far as I'm concerned. So uh, I guess we're thinking McCormick's going to play center. Yeah, it sounds like that's going to be the case. Um, and like you said, like it was fine to do it in the regular season when the games were relatively meaningless and you know you could experiment a little bit. But 
I don't know if Dusty came to his senses. I don't know if the front office or the analytics people allowed Dust like made Dusty come to his senses, but um, running Mauricio Dubon and his 56 OPS plus and his 294 slugging percentage out there just is not the way to go with this lineup. Like we just mentioned, that needs someone to step up. And I'm not saying that Chaz McCormick's going to go in there and be an offensive juggernaut, but he's got a better opportunity to run into a ball, to hit a ball out of the ballpark than Mauricio Dubon does. And um, I think their defense is – Dubon does have a stronger arm. Dubon does have a better arm. But I don't think Chaz McCormick is this – poor defensive center fielder if anything the publicly available metrics paint him as a better defensive center fielder than Mauricio Dubon so um, it'll be interesting to see if they carry all three of those guys on the playoff roster that being McCormick Mauricio Dubon and Jake Myers I think they will I think that'll be the ultimate roster construction it'll be interesting to see how they use Jake Myers because the organization views Jake Myers as the best defensive center fielder that they have so it'll be interesting to see Late in games, how Dusty configures his outfield, especially if Jordan Alvarez is your everyday left fielder. I don't know if you can configure a best defensive outfield in late in games and risk taking Alvarez's bat out of the lineup. Let's talk about the game one pitching matchup, because really this is what's gotten the Astros where they are this year to 106 wins. The pitching has been phenomenal, probably top to bottom, the best pitching staff this franchise has ever had. Um, the, the, the starting depth is so deep. And one thing I, uh, But looking at the game one matchup, Justin Verlander, uh, the incredible comeback here from Tommy John surgery. I don't think I don't think there's an argument to be made that there's a better starting pitcher in baseball this year. I just don't see anybody whose numbers stack up with Verlander's. Then you think about Frambois Valdez, the quality start machine. But um, you had a very interesting piece uh, that published on Monday online is in Tuesday's paper about kind of summarizing the Astros season, if you will, in about nine pitches and uh, looking at some of the key pitches from this staff. And I was fascinated with something that Verlander talked to you about, about something that's gone on where a couple of years ago, he won, he won the Cy Young Award, but he was prone to the home run ball. And now this year, he's not even giving up, up, up home runs, which, as we talked about in these playoff series, is, is a crucial deal. What did he tell you about that? I found it uh, very interesting. So Justin Verlander will enter his game one start against the Mariners having not given up a home run in 58 and two thirds consecutive innings. That's a, that's a streak of 10 straight starts. Um, when I told him this streak, he made me walk to the mailbox by his clubhouse, uh, by his locker in the clubhouse, the cubby. And he made me knock on the wood to, to make sure that that kept going. So if he doesn't give up a home run this postseason, you know why. Uh, but anyway, he gave up 36 home runs when he won the Cy Young in 2019. Um, The difference is that, you know, Justin Verlander has always been a high four-seam pitcher. He's always thrown the four-seam fastball at the top of the strike zone. And in 2018, 2019, that was just right around when it was really becoming in vogue. And teams couldn't hit it. Opponents could not hit it. Um, They were swinging and missing with it. Uh, But when you do pitch like that, when you do pitch up in the strike zone, you know, it is conducive to home run. So every now and then he would get burned on a home run on his fastball up. Has Tommy John surgery in 2020, sits out the 2021 season. Before the 2022 season, he called Garrett Cole, his friend, now New York Yankees ace, but they were friends and they still are friends, but they were teammates with the Astros. And Cole warned him. Cole pitches basically just like Verlander, high four seam, slider, curveball, all that good stuff. Cole basically warned Verlander that, hey, the league has adjusted to 
elevated forcing fastballs. The league, the, the opponents have tailored their swings to them. They know how to hit these now. So Justin Verlander saw that after two years away and basically is inviting them to hit it because he's able to attack with at the basically the way opponents are swinging at this now. He's able to attack their swings and get weak contact. He's not able to, he's able to limit the hard contact with it. And he's commands the ball so well too, at the top of the strike zone that it all kind of coalesces and he's pitching the same way. It's just the way the league has adjusted has kind of gone against the league. The league hasn't been able to bash him for home runs. So maybe that changes in the postseason. Look, I, I don't think that's the sole reason he's on a 58 and two thirds inning homerless streak. I think just sometimes that's luck. I think as Justin Verlander alluded to in that same story, the balls are different now. The balls were juiced in 2019 and balls that probably shouldn't have been home runs were home runs. Uh, I think if you talk to people in the game now, the balls are dead. The balls are deadened or deader than they were in 2019. So that helps a little bit too. But um, yeah, you can't ask for a better guy to go out there in game one. I mean, a 1.75 ERA is the lowest by an American League starter in 162 game season since Pedro Martinez in 2000. Um, he's going to win the Cy Young Award. It's just a matter of how many first place votes he gets. Um, he's 39 years old, just had Tom, had Tommy John surgery two years ago. I mean, it's, it's remarkable what this man has done. And now, like, I'm sure we're going to get into this kind of how the series sets up, but because of the new off days, there's an off day between games one and two and an off day between game three and four, the Astros could conceivably have Justin Verlander on full rest to pitch game four of this series. And that could come either with the Astros within a win of advancing or they could send Justin Verlander out to the mound to save their season. You talk about that, and I, I think the Astros, you know, are prohibitive favorites. And it's it's, um, but I guess the thing I think about, if you get to get, let's say you get to Game Five and you start Verlander, you want to take care of the series. Let's say it does go to five games. Um, what do you do there? Then do you start Fromber on three days rest? The thing about this staff, it is so deep. I mean, Christian Javier presumably a fourth starter in the playoffs and maybe they don't need him in this series. And I guess they, and it's just, uh, what do you, how do you, how do you make that game five decision? I'm a little leery about Fromber on three days rest. If it comes to that. Well, I guess you have to look kind of how the series is gone. Have they used Christian Javier yet? If Christian Javier's available, then you throw him. He's the guy that has the most strikeouts on your staff. He's probably um, for all intents and purposes, looking at recency, Christian Javier was this team's second best starting pitcher. Um, especially the last two months of the season. He was very, very good. He'd be starting game two for just about any other club. But, you know, with Fromber being as good as he's been, and then with Lance McCullers Jr. really kind of rounding into form his last three starts, I mean, it makes sense why they would have Christian Javier there. So if you haven't used Javier and you feel good about it, then I would, I would probably go with the guy that's on – more regular rest than push Fromber on short rest. But then you also have to wonder maybe Fromber deals in game two. Maybe they can't touch him and you you got that guy back that you know can flummox this Mariners lineup. Maybe you send him back out for game. So I think a lot of it, if it does come to that, is just gonna have to be reading and reacting. Like kind of how how do these guys pitch? How do the Mariners react to certain starters, things of that nature? How how do do they have to use Javier out of the bullpen in a long man role? So uh, a lot of stuff has to happen between then and now, but I think the Astros would prefer not to get to that point, not to get to a game five and have to make that decision. But um, look, I, I don't think this is going to be, I, I think Astros fans in general, 
have kind of been spoiled by kind of their overall success. Uh, I so there was a stat the other day that I found that you know the Astros have not lost game one or game two of the ALDS since 2015 when they lost game two to the Royals. They've started up two games to nothing in every ALDS of this renaissance since since 2017. Um, I'm not saying that they can't do that here. But it's not that easy. And, you know, the Astros are probably going to face Luis Castillo in game two. Uh, the, the, big trade deadline, the big trade deadline acquisition that the Mariners went to get an ace in every sense of the word. This is not going to be just a walkover series that they sweep. The Astros may sweep this series, but it's not going to be – it's not going to be like last year where the White Sox came in and they were just so woefully under unprepared. They were managed poorly. You could just tell that they had no approach, no anything, and they just – completely combusted on themselves um this this isn't going to be like that I, I think these two teams are m- very much more evenly matched than their regular season record gives them credit for because you know the astros did win 12 of their 19 regular season meetings against the the mariners the run differential only plus eight in the astros favor so that just shows you how close these games were these teams are not separated by much yeah, and I think uh, another interesting thing about it is you look at the you look at the margin maybe in the division. Okay, sixteen games. Wow, what a deal! But hey, the Mariners won more games than the Phillies, who are still alive. They won more games than the Padres, who are still alive. So that tells you this pretty. They won ninety games, uh, so they are a very impressive club. You mentioned Castillo, and that's kind of the uh, the factor the Astros didn't have to face because these teams were done by July, so they didn't play again after Seattle got Castillo, and he was absolutely filthy against the Blue Jays in Game One. Um, I guess the one advantage that you really look at that home field is you figure Castillo is not going to be able to go twice in this series, but the guy the Mariners probably are going to lean on is Logan Gilbert. Now, here's a guy the Astros saw four times. Your impressions of him and uh, the guy who's going to start against Verlander in game one. He's got really good stuff, and the Astros did not hit him particularly well in, in the regular season. I think he had like a 2-4 ERA in those four starts. Um, it was nothing. It was nothing, you know, drastic I, I think you know they had some success but it was nothing to write home about so again this is not going to be a this is not going to be a walk in the park and you know logan gilbert is young um maybe i believe this will be his first playoff start you know maybe that's an advantage you know a young kid going in his first playoff start against justin verlander you inherently would think the astros have the advantage there but gilbert's got good stuff he's a long wiry guy kind of a different funky arm angle sort of stuff so um i think the astros the only the only pitcher they should be wanting to face in this whole thing would be Robbie Ray, who they, the reigning, it sounds weird because he's the reigning American League Cy Young Award winner, but the Astros have Robbie Ray's number and it is pretty unbelievable to the point where I was talking to some Mariners people today and I think they're going to go out of their way to avoid throwing Robbie Ray against the Astros. If by any means, like, you know, maybe they can get away with starting George Kirby in game three and then like the Astros would have Verlander if it goes to game four, the Mariners would have Logan Gilbert on full rest to go in game four. But I think if the Mariners can get away with not throwing Robbie Ray against the Astros, they're going to try to. That's pretty fascinating. One other factor in this uh, series that uh, is back into play, no ghost runners after nine innings. And one thing I was thinking about that maybe really plays in the Astros' favor, and we can talk about the roster construction and what they're going to do because you've got this depth. You've got Luis Garcia, Jose Arquiti, whether Rakiti makes the roster, we're not even sure about, but Hunter Brown can go multiple innings. If you get in one of these games, like the Rays and Guardians did, the Astros would seemingly have maybe more arms that can go long where you're not just having to throw one guy one inning. What about the bullpen for the Astros? Yeah, I think that's, um, I think with 
happened with the Guardians and Rays is kind of extreme. Like, I, I don't think we're going to see many 15-inning scoreless games in, in the postseason. And James Click even alluded to that when I – that was before the Guardians and the Rays played. When I was asking kind of about bullpen construction, he was like, yeah, well, you know, we have to plan for extra inning games. But he basically said historically extra inning games don't happen in the playoffs, and that, that's usually not a huge thing. But um, I think that is a big question. Do they carry a fifth? starter do they carry one of Luis Garcia or Jose Arquiti because you have to think that Verlander, Fromber, McCullers and Javier are all locks to make the roster do you carry one of those two other two guys Garcia or Arquiti to just as an emergency to have them in the bullpen and if one of those four guys gets hurt or if one of those four guys is extremely ineffective and you need to have somebody to give you some innings um, Hunter Brown is built up as a starter but he hasn't pitched any any substantial length in his in about three or four weeks so i think the most you could probably get out of hunter brown is two two innings um you know phil maton has the ability to go two innings but it's not particularly quality two innings it hasn't been at least when he's gone multiple innings this year um this is also the playoffs and you push guys a little bit farther than you've pushed them in the past so this isn't necessarily a case where Ryan Presley is just going to get three outs or Hector Neris is just going to get three outs. Like if a reliever's humming and he's a traditional reliever, like you can count on a reliever for more than three outs. So I think what the Ashers have to ask themselves is a, how likely is it that we're going to end up in a marathon game where we need length or B how much more valuable would an extra position player be? I think the Astros end up going 14 position players and 12 pitchers because like we also mentioned, you have that, that extra off day. You have that extra off day between game one and two. That's really going to help reset your bullpen. And I really think if you're carrying a fifth starter, I really think you're planning for an absolute disaster, like like we talked about, like a 15-inning game or, heaven forbid, someone gets hurt in the second inning. Like someone has to come out of the game in the second inning. And, you know, I, I guess that's – I guarantee you the Astros have numbers and percentages and analy- analytics to tell them whether – how how likely that is to happen. But I think the value probably for them would be more have an extra guy on the bench and give Dusty some options. Because I think when you get down to it, I think the thing that could torpedo this series for the Ashers, I don't think it's their pitching. I think it's maybe the offense not being able to score. I think it's the offense not being able to come through. And I think giving Dusty more options to to try something, to pinch hit, to put a different guy in a different spot, I think that's maybe more – um, effective than carrying an extra pitcher that you don't even know you may need. Talking about Seattle's lineup, what do you what, you mentioned? They're not very deep. I, I guess the one thing I think about is like, can a long ball win a game here and there? They've got like Ahuenio uh, Suarez who hits home runs but also strikes out more than anybody in the majors besides Kyle Schwarber. Is, is there a don't let him be too bad? I mean, like where the Yankees have Aaron Judge. I mean, I don't know if Julio Rodriguez qualifies there but is there somebody for seattle that that would be that guy i mean julio is probably the one that pops into your head i mean he's going to win the american league rookie of the year award he's been so so good this whole year um he's probably the guy that they circle before the game i mean he's again he is not aaron judge he's not even kyle schorber who you mentioned like i mean there are guys that just kind of jump off the page he's getting there he's going to be that one day but i think just in this lineup and what is surrounding him, I think he's the one you don't let beat you. But um, as far as guys that have been hot for them, I mean, Eugenio Suarez had a big series with against the Blue Jays. Cal Raleigh is hitting home runs now, like every other at bat. Um, he's He's been really hot in September to the point where he's hitting cleanup for them, which is not maybe what I envisioned coming into the season. Cal Raleigh hitting cleanup for the Mariners. He's got 27 home runs. 
Um, but that's kind of the thing that scares you about this Mariners team is that, you know, they do say that the home run ball wins in the postseason. And if you've watched them just in the in the last couple weeks or so, it does seem like they just come up with a big homer when they need it. Carlos Santana, it kind of goes overlooked after what happened, but they were down eight to one in that game against the Blue Jays. Carlos Santana pops a three run home run. All of a sudden it's eight to five and you start to think, oh, well, they could come back in this game. Um Carlos Santana is another one. I mean, he's a veteran hitter that 36, 37 years old, been around for a while. He's got a bunch of pop. So this is not the greatest lineup in the world. Um, like I said, they hit 230. Uh, that ranked 14th of 15 AL lineups. Um, they had a 705 OPS, which was sixth highest in the American League. So it's not a bad lineup by any stretch, but it is not one that's going to dink and dunk you to death. It's going to get a bunch of hits. They're just going to rely on maybe a single here, a walk here, and then pop one out for a three-run homer. And, you know, they they, they tell you all the old baseball axiom is that solo homers don't beat you. So I think if the Astros can, A, keep them in the ballpark, and B, when they do let them leave the ballpark, have nobody on base, I, I think that'll probably be their their biggest path to success. But there's just something about this Mariners team, though. They, they just kind of have that feeling. They kind of have that team of destiny feeling. I don't know if it's because of – the way they got into the playoffs with the walk-off home run from Cal Raleigh or the way that they beat the the Blue Jays with the with the seven-run comeback. But um, they've got that kind of mojo about them that would would put would I'm I i do not want to say it would scare me, but I think that would be a that would be something that, you know, uh, you don't want to mess with. You don't want to mess with bad juju. And I, I think the Mariners have a, a lot of good juju on their side right now. Yeah. That seven run comeback that there's only been one bigger in postseason history. That was in the 1929 world series. And in that match, the second biggest. So these are not your 2019 Mariners. This is a, a pretty good ball club and it's going to get underway Tuesday afternoon at Minute Maid Park, two day games, Tuesday, Thursday to start this series. Times to be announced for games three through five, but you can follow all the action, obviously at the Houston Chronicle with Chandler's coverage, the Houston Chronicle, Chronicle.com and the pages of the Houston Chronicle. And uh, we look forward to a fun American League Division series as the playoffs begin. And we'll be talking to you again soon. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Texas Sports Nation podcast.